Uh, the order of the scripture readings this morning is reversed. The New Testament will precede the Old Testament today for the, the sermon is going to be taken from the Jonah text. So we begin in 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, verses 29 through 31. Uh, a brief reading from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, uh, reminding them of the urgency uh, of the times that they live in. That to confess, repent, and receive those gifts, uh, one should not tarry. Listen again for a word from the Lord as it is there written. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. Those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our Old Testament reading comes from that book of Jonah, the opening ten verses of the third chapter. And again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said that he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Last Sunday, we looked at a passage together from the gospel according to John that described the calling of Nathanael as one of Jesus' disciples. And you may recall that at the outset, Nathanael was a bit skeptical when Philip was telling him about this Jesus and his origins of Nazareth. Nathanael was hesitant at first, 
given what he knew of the background of this man that some believed was the Messiah. And today we read another account, this from the Old Testament, about Jonah, who also was a bit reluctant, to say the least, to be in service of God from the get-go. In this, the book that bears his name, we can glean a thing or two about Jonah and perhaps along the way about our own relationship with the Lord, our response to his call and the impact that it might have. And I must say that all of this is once again quite providential as the Revised Common Lectionary has suggested part of this Old Testament text as a reading for this day, the very day on which we are going to be holding our annual congregational meeting and at that meeting electing four members of the congregation to serve as officers of this church, positions with very specific expectations and responsibilities for advancing the work of the church, the body of Christ. At the opening of our Old Testament reading, the word of the Lord is coming to Jonah a second time. It is remarkable enough that the word of the Lord would come to anyone even once. It is an unexpected thing that a person cannot script. It may be sought through prayer and petition or not, but when it comes, well, it is usually a life-altering occurrence. And I know from experience. When it comes to Jonah, it takes the form of a call to action. And often this seems to be the case when a word is heard from the Lord. Jonah's response, though, was, well, less than obedient. He clearly heard and he clearly understood what the Lord God was asking him to do, and he set about doing his level best to do exactly the opposite when he first heard this call from the Lord about Nineveh. He didn't like the task that he had been uniquely charged with, and he rebelled. And we laugh at Jonah's response as he tried to flee from an inescapable God who would stop at nothing, not even a very large fish, to accomplish his will. But are we really so different? By the time this, the third chapter now in the book of Jonah opens, Jonah's been through the proverbial ringer. His disobedience did not sit well with God. He had been foiled in his attempt to abandon the post to which the Lord had assigned him. And now, chastened and wiser, Jonah is once again visited by a word from the Lord as if to say, now, where was I? God tells him again, ah, oh, yes, off to Nineveh you go with the message that I give you. And Jonah had already made it clear that he neither wanted to go nor did he want to deliver God's message. But by now, he's been shown that God really, really wants him to do this. And so, begrudgingly, 
he heads off. He walks to and through this great city of the Gentiles, a people with whom the Israelites have had an uneasy and sometimes hostile relationship with for many generations. And as he makes his way across a big and inhospitable metropolis, he's he's there in the midst of these people poking the bear, as it were. He's telling the populace that they're such a bunch of so-and-sos that they're about to receive divine judgment and be visited with destruction. Now, it isn't hard to see why Jonah wouldn't have been in all that great of a hurry to fulfill such a task as this. After all, who would want to risk failure and the byproducts of defeat? But elsewhere in this short book of Jonah, the reader is introduced to an argument that gets to the heart of his excuses for not wanting to take God's word to the Ninevites. And it gives us an insight into another of his chief motives behind his disobedience. Turns out, he didn't want to go because he didn't want to risk success in his mission. Often, we sense the challenges and we measure the likelihood of achieving something uh, of an assigned task as being, well, somewhere between slim and none on a good day, and so we abandon the attempt. But often, and now this is a purely rhetorical question for you, uh, how often has it been that we have abandoned the attempt for fear of actually achieving the goal? Though it may be plausible, And within our grasp, it really isn't something that we want to do after all. In his preface to one of my favorite required readings in seminary, titled Under the Unpredictable Plant, the author and Presbyterian pastor Eugene Peterson observed, I take it as a given that all of us would prefer to be our own gods than to worship God. In this book that focuses on Jonah, he's writing a commentary in his own words, and it serves as a jumping off point for his discussion of the pastoral call to what he calls vocational holiness. And Peterson in his book shares decades of wisdom from within the church hierarchy and calls readers to a more faithful and healthier expression of Christian servanthood. His claim about usurping the divine prerogatives goes back all the way to the fall, when woman and man sought to equate themselves with God. In his disobedience to the work of preaching repentance to the people of Nineveh, Jonah is following in the footsteps of Adam who had one rule that he couldn't live with. God, Eve and I, we know better than you what's best for us. Well, Jonah also thought he knew better than God. If I go, O Lord, and deliver this message, and the people there heed my words, your words, and confess 
repent and turn from their evil ways, well, then they might be spared. And that is precisely what I don't want to see happen. No, what I want, what I want is for those nasty, wicked people to finally get their comeuppance. For too long, they have gloated, they have reviled us, they have impugned your name. And I want to see you call down fire and destruction from on high and wipe them all from the face of the earth. That's what they deserve, after all. It isn't Jonah's will that is done in response to the prophetic warnings, but it is God's will that is done. When all the citizens of that great city, from the least of these all the way up to the king, when they express remorse and change their way, call a fast and put on sackcloth and ashes, they're spared, just as Jonah feared they might be. And he, the reluctant servant, is left to stew and sulk beneath the unpredictable plant. So, my brothers and sisters, in Christ, as we stare into this mirror of the Jonah text, what might we be able to see in it? Peterson reminds his readers that we have been called to tend God's garden, not run God's garden. Let me repeat that. We are to tend God's garden even as we would rather be in charge of running God's garden. This human tendency is in part behind my invitation for us to enter into a season of prayer and discernment, seeking direction for the next era of ministry here at Old Rehoboth. While it is tempting, especially given the depth and width and length of the talent and expertise that we are blessed to have here among our membership to simply form a committee and work to produce a, a highly detailed three or five or ten year plan. And there has been many a church which has done just that. But to that, Peterson says, where two or three are gathered together and the name of God comes up, a committee is formed for making an idol. We want gods that are not gods so we can be as gods. The idolatry to which pastors are conspicuously liable is not personal but vocational. The idolatry of a religious career that we can take charge of and manage ourselves. By contrast, as we seek the leading of the Spirit through time spent in prayer and the holy words of divine self-revelation in Scripture, we want to know and we want to follow God's lead rather than to substitute our own in the name of either pride or efficiency. Precisely because we are not God's, we should be seeking to know and obey the will of the one who is. Often, that is very countercultural and it is counterintuitive. But I encourage you all, 
in that endeavor. Those of you who will be elected to the boards of deacons and elders today, and you who will be affirming their positions, the work to which the Lord is calling us can be difficult, unpleasant, and completely at odds with what we would rather. Just ask those Christians living in Nigeria. We can choose to be recalcitrant and reluctant as Jonah, but what good did that do him? The same seminary dean who assigned us to read this book about Jonah also wrote a book himself, and he titled his book, The Joy of Ministry. For even when it is trying hard, unpopular work, those who have been called to it by the Lord can still find great joy in the obedience that comes with submitting our own wills to that of the divine. The story of Jonah reminds us that the word of God can and does bring about change. Sometimes it is change that we are ready, willing, and able to embrace. Sometimes it is change that is disquieting and upsetting of our comfortable, established status quo. There may be a mix of both in store for us here at Rehoboth. Who knows? Only God. And he has shown in Nineveh how transformative the power of his word can be even to and for those we might deem less deserving. God has demonstrated the depth and width and length of his love for all his people, most clearly in the sending of his son Jesus to take away the sins of all. The wideness of that mercy was too much for many in the Hebrew religious establishment of his day to conceive of and to consent to. They wanted to keep the genie in the bottle, so to speak, to constrain God so that he might conform to their preconceived notions of how God should serve them. My prayer for us, deacons, elders, members, and friends of the congregation here at Old Rehoboth alike, is that we should seek to serve as agents of God's will for his great plan of salvation, reconciliation, and new creation that is continuing to be played out throughout the Ninevehs of this world and even right here in our very own midst. And that in doing so, we might be surprised by the joy that can come from the unexpected tasks to which he calls us. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God, and amen.